Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of What's a VHS? I'm Prajwal. I'm also Prajwal. And we're, and this episode <laughs> is actually Prajwal and Prajwal discuss the world. <laughs> Anyways, today's episode is What is Neuroplasticity? Yes, you heard me right. What is neuroplasticity, not plastic brain? I'm sorry, that was clickbait. I also want to apologize for the slight a bit of noise you're going to hear over the episode. There's a lot of construction happening in both of our respective locations. So if you do hear a bit of it, uh, I, we apologize for that. Are we officially a podcast now that we've used clickbait? I guess so. Do podcasts use clickbait? I haven't seen too much clickbait in podcasts. I mean... Yeah, I know a couple of... Well, yeah, there's one uh, podcast I listen to, which is nothing but clickbait. Okay. Well, well yeah. <laughs> it is clickbait in the sense that you... They start discussing it later in the episode, but the titles uh, itself are so catchy and outlandish okay. that, you know... Yeah, no, that's You clickbait. have to click them. Damn. I thought, yeah. I thought we were going like, to be trailblazers for a second, but... <laughs> <sighs> I guess we're never, we never are. We never are. Well, what is neuroplasticity? Actually, that's a question I was going to ask you because this is okay. your episode idea. I'll answer it then. You're not supposed to tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, neuroplasticity is essentially being able to rewire different circuits in your brain. And I mean, it's called plasticity because there are plastic parts of your brain that can constantly adapt to your personal needs um and yeah it just for the individual person the needs of their brain so for example there there have been studies with um london cab drivers in the parts of their brain that have to do with um direction and um memorizing things so i mean they'll need to remember roads um those kind of parts of their brain are significantly larger than the average person Isn't that like just so fascinating that your brain can actually expand its physically expand itself? Yeah, so there are actually two types of neuroplasticity. One is functional and one is structural. Uh so functional neuroplasticity is where it's changing, you know, the functions your brain is using. So, you know, if you're not going to be using a certain part of your uh cortex, right? So if you're focusing on something while ignoring the other that part of the brain stops wire like stops functioning effectively and basically gets rid of it because well you're not using it so why should it be there mm-hmm. whereas structural is actually changing the structure of the brain itself and this is physical structure not you know not mental or theoretical function or like structure we're talking the real physical brain changing which is insane as you said also with regards to the london cab drivers we're talking about you know real cab drivers we're not talking about uber drivers who are constantly on their phone like they're getting directions from their phone like we're talking about the london cab drivers where there's no phone nothing they remember the routes by heart and they will know shortcuts that nobody else would know yeah apparently they know like oh, i don't remember the number but the number of roads they know is 
so much more than the average person it's not even funny like it's insane i think most of them know every single road in london i mean pretty much it's not a huge place i don't think i mean compared to india but it's still still pretty damn impressive to know every road in a city it's not huge but for the fact that it's so dense and there's so many roads and there are you know like so many different locations that people want to go to or people need to go to the fact that you can tell them a road and they'll know where it is from where they are immediately is brilliant yeah i mean it it is really something else and i've i actually wanted to do this episode because i've recently started learning about neuroplasticity and i've just fascinated by the whole concept of it and so i thought it'd be kind of cool to just to share about that to anybody that's interested and it really is something that you can just do i mean it's it's not hard at all i mean i think i've rewired my brain in some ways for sure and yeah there's different books you can read all listen to uh i'd suggest you start with the most i guess kind of the most cliche and well known one that's limitless by jim quick um i i listen to the audio version of the book cuz yeah i i can't read not literally but this episode but, is not yeah. sponsored by audible <laughs> uh, audible contact us please <laughs> but yeah neuroplasticity is something that happens daily whether you know it or not but there are ways for you to harness it and actually use it to your benefit so it is insane that once you start reading about it like as david is it, it you you just can get so much better yeah i mean you learn things about like unlocking parts of your brain you didn't know could be ever unlocked i mean like mm. uh i don't know how long have i been learning about this maybe 2 months now and i f- i feel different like in in some aspects of where i wanted to change my approach to things we'll go into that a bit later but i want to ask you first if you have any first hand experience with neuroplasticity have you ever tried like rewiring your brain in any way well not actively i've not actively pursued mm-hmm. you know trying to rewire yeah. a certain part of my brain but just through action you know it's an inherent system it's always there and it'll always do its job so i have done it just by picking up a new uh sport or instrument and practicing that daily or practicing it mm. you know nonstop or even one hour a day that is actually neuroplasticity yep. where you're forming new connections and you're you know reinforcing them that is a form of neuroplasticity functional um so yeah i've done that and i think the most recent neuroplastic development i've had is um you know sensitive touch and mild movements with my fingers mm. so when i'm filming right i use a steady cam to film which is kind of like a gimbal to anybody who hasn't seen one it's kind of like a three axis gimbal but it's its grandfather this is the original form of stable shooting or like handheld stable shooting but it's very operator heavy so that means i can't just use one hand and move it around and it'll be fine 
you need both hands for this and you need one hand to operate the system while one hand supporting the weight. And my operating hand, which is my left hand, needs to be very, very light to the touch. If I'm touching the object, it has to be so, so minute because if I touch it even slightly harder than usual, the thing will get knocked and it'll start moving in a weird manner. So to turn the camera, I need to be tapping it like 10 times a second or like not 10 times a second, but I'd say 10 times every two, three seconds just to kind of get the bearing straight and make sure the frame is always, you mm -hmm. know, in center. And those taps have to be very light. And sometimes I'll have to be tapping while turning or tapping while kind of like tilting and all that stuff. These kind of motions are very difficult. Yeah. But to do them, I've had to practice a lot and I've had to do like, you know, training sessions and stuff for hours on end. And that is the latest neuroplastic development I've made. <laughs> what about yours? What's your latest one? Well, I think that's this common theme between both of us is that yours are more, yours are very quantitative in like all your endeavors and mine are very qualitative and abstract. I mean, uh, obviously they're both qualitative, but relatively you know, when you compare my this thing and your this thing. So uh, for me, my neuroplastic adventure <laughs> has been basically trying to, uh, it's mostly fitness related. It's trying to harness like this competitive edge over myself in that, um, okay, let me paint a picture here, okay. You're working out if you do work out or you're doing something that's really challenging for your either your mind or your body. So um, I'm working out, I'm 30 minutes in. So now I'm hitting the I'm past the warm up stages. I'm hitting the hard parts now. Um, I've been asked to do seven reps of something. Instead, I'm going to push and do 10 reps. Okay. So it's those small baby steps. And now I essentially do. I mean, when I when I'm training, I do double of what everybody else is doing. So if someone has to do 10 squats, 10 push-ups, and 10 lunges, I'm doing 20 of each, you know? And I feel great after doing it because I took those baby steps and now I'm able to do double of what everybody's doing. And now it's almost like there's no voice. I've kind of eradicated that little voice in your head that goes, stop, you know, you're pushing too hard, that kind of stuff. You know, just that little insecurity that like in the form of, you know, just that tiny little high-pitched annoying voice that comes into your head. I've almost fully eradicated that because of doing these things. And um, yeah, I mean, I want to be able to unlock that next level of being able to just push my body, push my body until it's a limit and then extend that limit as far as I possibly can. So um, yeah. That's basically my neuroplastic adventure. And it's going well, actually. I, I'm, I have noticed a significant hear. change. Yeah, I mean, like, I've noticed that I'm, I'm more competitive now as well. Like, I, I mean, I was always competitive, but now, like, I have no excuse for ever losing, ever. So, hmm. uh, yeah, that's my personal experience with neuroplasticity. And I'm only, like, two months in, man. 
I, I definitely don't think I've learned everything about it there is to learn because it's such a broad topic. Yeah. Actually most psychologists and neurologists will say yeah this is this is a very broad topic. We there are two main theories as to what neuroplasticity really is. Uh one of them is it's an umbrella term for multiple separate sequences or multiple separate operations that we're just using on this broad umbrella of you know neuroplasticity where if that is the case then there's a lot more research to be done because we do not understand which separate sequence or separate operation is truly its uh, its own and the second theory is all of it is the same and it comes all under one thing which is neuroplasticity in which case we are pretty much there but we need to keep learning more as to why um you know why we're able to do this and how can we harness it to our maximum potential and what all is capable i'm going to quickly dispel a couple of ideas that people might like you know stupid ideas that even i got when i first heard about neuroplasticity and it thinks it's like can i grow a third eye can i learn to fly Is telekinesis real? No, it's not. None of that's real. The force doesn't exist. What mm-hmm. tele like what neuroplasticity helps with is what your your body can already do, and it will just enhance it or add to it. Now, did you know that basically learning is neuroplasticity? It, yeah. It's a neuroplastic thing, but by learning, I'm actually talking about. you know not the facts based learning like sitting in a classroom learning facts that's not neuroplastic learning neuroplastic learning is sort of you know hands on physical trying to learn a new language trying to learn a new instrument yeah. doing something that needs your brain to physically you know or like it needs your brain to actively cooperate with your body it's creating a new stimulus for your brain so you create a new environment and then that creates new stimulus and then you get a conditioned response from the unconditioned stimulus and so that's what leads to those neuroplastic changes essentially it, yeah exactly and you just made me sound a lot dumber <laughs> sorry i study psychology <laughs> so this is like if i don't know this i think my mom would be pretty pissed at me. I don't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, yeah, you are pretty you know a lot more about this than I do. Cuz I have always, you know, relegated it to the it's passive, it'll happen. I'm not going to have to do anything about it. Mm. I'm the lazy sort of person who, you know, will use it to my ab- advantage by not learning about it. Because if I learn about it, I will go all out into trying to harness it, which I shouldn't be. <laughs> You're one like, of those I mean, destructive types I'm very destructive yeah. with what I can do I'm very very destructive and you know just general so I don't <laughs> I I wouldn't want to know what I could do like you you create your own snowball effect <laughs> Yeah basically yeah. When was the first time you heard about neuroplasticity Well the term neuroplasticity I've heard it you know here and there for very long amounts of time mm-hmm. but really understanding what it is was only recently maybe about a month ago yeah like 
I've, yeah, I've always heard the term neuroplasticity, but just knowing what neuroplasticity is, is different from understanding what it is. And that base level understanding only came to me about a month ago. So kind of the same for me. I mean, I've heard the term now and then, but I really understood what neuroplasticity was the first time on, this is because of my YouTube watch history. Um, April 28th, I watched, oh, wow. I listened to Joe Rogan experience um, with Nick Yaris. For someone who doesn't know who Nick Yaris is, um, he is a writer and speaker who spent 22 years on death row being wrongfully uh, convicted of murder. 22 Ooh. years. That's, and oh. man, if you think about having a rough life, if you think that you have a rough life, if you think you have it bad, just watch this podcast. Joe Rogan Experience number 1171, Nick Yaris. 1171, whoa. Yeah, I think he's at like, he's at, like 1500 now almost 1500 now oh wow yeah he's been doing it 11 years wow yeah but anyway um nick yaris was uh he was sexually assaulted and then as a kid he was like seven or eight and then he, he got hit in the back of the head with a stone so that altered his brain in some ways and that led to stuff like um aggression and, you know, just, it, it it messed him up, you know. He became extremely aggressive, like, extremely paranoid from such a young age. Um, got addicted to drugs. Um, started spending time with a lot of drug addicts. Life's already going bad for him because of what happened when he was such a young boy. And then this one time, he he stole a car and then... The car theft, he didn't even get, he got caught for the car theft and then cops framed him because he drove the car to this one place where this woman was raped and murdered and they needed someone to pin the murder on. So they pinned him because he was supposedly at that place at that time, but he was nowhere near the scene, which was proved later due to DNA evidence. But, you know, you, you have to think that it's not available because he, he's only been out, I don't know how long he's been out, uh, but not long at all for how old he is. And so anyway, he gets he gets put on, he goes to prison for that. And now he's being transferred. And in this transfer, it's, it's uh, the winter solstice. And you can't see anything. Like visibility was really low. These cops were really nice to him. They said, Let's, uh, I'm just going to go pee, you know, uh, go to the bathroom. Anyway, he came out before the cop. And the cop's partner thought he shot the cop for some reason. And this second cop standing outside the bathroom, point blank, tried to shoot him in, shoot him in the head. Okay. Oh, he hides. He hides in a bush, goes three blocks around, goes back to the fuel bunk. Um, then three hours through the forest barefoot. He's now on the FBI's most wanted list. Steals another car, gets this man's wallet, goes to Miami, he thinks, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to end my life here. I'm going to have one last party on a raft, um, get super drunk, super, super buzzed, cut myself, chum the water, cut my raft and get eaten by sharks. Oh, that's He's hard. about to do this. And then 
one day later he gets a call from his from his mom or something like that and then he says i can't do this he turns himself in 22 years man they the cops would you've heard about these things where these cops have these underground fights yeah on these sundays yeah. that happened to him if he didn't fight and if he didn't put on a show the cops would beat him up even worse they beat him up twice after death in prison this is all happening twice after death and multiple broken bones all of this happens 22 years he's about to say he's about the day he's about to give up he writes to this um oh actually through all of this he's now he finds books and he goes okay i'm going to go on this adventure and for all the bad things these cops do i'm going to forgive them i'm going to make sure i learn and i become articulate he had a stutter he couldn't speak very well had problems forming words and stuff because of the brain injury he said i'm going to become super articulate i'm going to learn how to write i'm going to i'm going to speak on behalf of these cops that are just doing their job because i feel sorry for them because they have no control over their lives and so he tries to become a good person while he's getting beat up every day in prison and he does mm. he becomes this incredible person and he's about to give up this one final day and then uh he's about to write to the judge saying you know just give me the electric chair and then on that very day dna evidence comes in and he's proven not guilty oh wow yeah it's a Yeah. that is crazy that's an adventure that no one yeah. should endure but the crazy thing is how do you that's neuroplasticity right he rewired his brain with all the hatred he had for humanity and somehow through all of that completely kind of transformed it into just trying to be a loving caring kind person yeah under the worst circumstances that is crazy i don't know how to transition to a lighter topic from that that is oof that is hard dude like i have, i've left out so much i i know i went on for like it's quite a monologue for your for your listeners but that podcast is how long it's nearly 2 hours long so that's the oh, short wow. version oh man i think now that is that's definitely on my list to listen to oh yeah you you have to i mean Oh wow, that is crazy. Yeah, and then I was like this man could do this with like in this situation, you know. So let me see what this is about and then I started doing this and then, you know, all of this happened and it sounds so shallow compared to what his purpose is in life is, but hey, it is what it is, man, and these kind of people exist and it's just incredible what the brain's capability is, you know. Yeah. The brain is more powerful than we give it credit for. But if you think about it, I mean, it's you have to be really really not motivated because I mean, motivation runs out. You need to be driven to do something like that. Yeah. I mean, do you how do you stay? I mean, you do quite a lot. You you do filmmaking, you're doing this podcast you do your your cycling how do you stay driven in that sense i mean even that's a part of neuroplasticity actually in staying well, driven through it also well 
really it's it's a matter of I don't know. I, it's just you know genuine interest in everything. I've I've always been brought up doing everything possible. There was never a moment where I haven't been engaged in something or the other and something unique because you know that's how my parents have brought me up. There's like if there's an event that even if I show no interest in, they'll put me in it. Like you'll see, just try it, just try for for the sake of it, and. Some are hit and miss, but some hit and stay. And, you know, over the years, whatever stayed keeps building on itself. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just genuine interest to put, mm-hmm. you know, act words into action. And whatever works, works. Yeah, man. I mean, like, I get that question a lot. Is that how do you how do you do it? I mean, like, how do you do what, man? I'm a normal person. There's nothing special about me at all. Exactly. I, I just tell myself that here, here's my key to staying driven and kind of trying to stick on that goal of neuroplasticity is I just tell myself that, listen, you're not up for doing this much today. But if you do this, if you don't do anything, then tomorrow when you put in the work, you're that much behind what you could have been. But if you do something, even the littlest step, you're ahead of what you would have been had you not done anything today. That's yeah. probably hard to follow for someone that's listening. Wait, push-ups. I hate push-ups. They're my least favorite exercise. I, and for my warm-ups, generally, it's 100 push-ups. That's 100 oh, repetitions Jesus. of something I hate. I can't okay. do 20. What the hell, man? <laughs> I mean, it's not 100 in a row. I do four sets of 25 or, you know. That's not bad, but man, doing 100 of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I cry at the end. I did a 10 <laughs> minute burpee session where it was 80 burpees nonstop. Oh, yeah. 86, I think. And I was crying by the end of it. Yeah. I recently did 100, I think, nearly. Oh, wow. I did, uh, no, not, not 100. I did 80. Somewhere around 80 as well. Uh, well but yeah, that, that's another thing that neuroplasticity is. It's finding joy in stuff that people don't like. That's something I've trained myself to do. Hmm. It's like when I'm working out and I'm in proper pain, I smile thinking nobody else wants to do this, man. You know, you're doing something that nobody else wants to do and you should be proud of that. You know, you should. So you should make sure that you're doing it because if you don't do it, somebody else might be doing it. But if you mm. do it, you're doing something that not many people want to do. And so that makes you part of something that makes you part of something just above average, you know? Yeah, I, I would actually say that for both of us doing workouts, you know, we find pleasure in doing the hard stuff. Yeah, we like even for me, right, whenever I'm riding and I'm you know, finding new features or building new stuff. The yeah. fact that I'm even doing it is pleasurable because I've achieved, you know, it's like objective complete. I've yeah. completed the objective of just getting out here and, you know, trying yeah. to progress. It doesn't matter if you progress or not. It's just attempt. If you've attempted, objective complete. Keep attempting. And then suddenly your objectives all add up into one collective, you know, progression. Mm, yeah. Your goal is to progress, 
but your goal isn't to progress immediately. Your goal is to progress safely. Yeah, another thing I've taught myself is failure is acceptable. Mm. Like, uh, I mean, that's something that also my parents have instilled in me in that, you know, if I ever lost something, it wouldn't be, you freaking suck, man. We No dinner for you. We don't love you. That, that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, but failure is definitely acceptable. And, but quitting isn't. Yeah, like, exactly. Never quit, man. It, that's something that I just, I, and another thing, actually, the most important thing I'd say is hold yourself accountable. Oh, absolutely. Like on the key to neuroplasticity, on that route. Um, accountability. Yeah, you just have to hold yourself accountable. How do you do that? Well, that's the tough part, right? Because you're kind of in a battle with your own subconscious. Yeah. So it's, there's always a conflict, you know. Um, it's a balance. One, yeah, I mean, one part of your brain saying, it's okay, you know, you did this, you did this, and you did this. And you need to tell that part of your brain to shut the hell up because you said you were going to do this today. You said that even if you had two hours of training and then one hour of podcasting that you wouldn't take your notes in the night. So shut the hell up and do it. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, that's something I have done as well quite a bit. Yeah, It is, and I, I'd say that any athlete will have three things in their brain already wired through neuroplasticity plasticity, and through sports. Like just by engaging in sports, you get three things. You get accountability. You get understanding about failure, which I actually wanted to reserve for a whole other podcast, well, like podcast episode, but, you know, we're doing it now, so it's great to talk about it. And, you know, generally just trying and drive driving yourself to work. Not physical driving yourself to work, but like <laughs> the drive to work, uh, the drive to accomplish. These three things are always there in any athlete. And I'm yeah. not talking high-level athlete. I'm talking anybody in a sport. If you now, like we both have been talking about sport ever since episode one. Yeah. And by now, if you've not noticed a theme, the theme is get into sports. Even if you're not athletic, welcome to the real world. You will be soon. This yeah. is... This episode is actually about that. It is neuroplasticity. It's not just your brain that'll change. It's your body that'll change too. That's not neuroplasticity. That's just building your muscles, but, you know, building your physical body. But both will work together if you pick up sports. And if you are in sports, try progressing to the next level. Try going slightly competitive. Try playing against people who are better than you. There's actually a, a thing in cycling, in mountain biking mm -hmm. specifically, where you get faster by chasing people faster than you. You don't stay in front of them and ride in front of them. No, you let them go ahead and drop you mm. where you won't find them anymore. But that's the drive. Now you have a physical yeah. drive ahead of you saying, that's your goal. I've got you to catch to that. Be, yeah, you've got to catch that. And they're going fast. And the only way you progress usually is by being confident on what you're riding. And usually that is the biggest barrier to riding. It's not your bike. It's not your skills. It's your physical, you know, it's not your physical. It's your mentality. It's your confidence and yeah. your confidence in your technique. 
But if you've got your technique dialed, your confidence builds. And if your confidence builds, your technique gets better. And your confidence goes higher. It just keeps, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a positive feedback loop. Yeah. You get better by better technique, but you get better technique by being better. Yeah, exactly. And this, you know, physical drive to do it is something that, you know, is always important to progress. And if you are somebody looking in, into, you know, trying to be a better you, take up, take up a bit of reading into neuroplasticity. If you can't read, audible.com's there for you. Audible, please sponsor us. <laughs> and um, if there is, you know, there's no drive, then it's time to go looking for one. I'm, I'm going to put a quick side note here. Sure. People who talk about passion, right? That everybody has a passion and just need to find your passion. That's not real. Okay. Let's be honest. There are no such things. Like some people are passionate about what they do, but it's not that they were born with it in them. It's, it was brought to them and built over time. You can't just go looking for something and suddenly find a passion out of nowhere. It's not like it sits in, it sits in the wild. This is not Pokemon. You have to actually, you know, build the passion. You have to build it in you. I and a, a, an easy case that I can talk about right now in like the current situation is history. I hated history throughout my life. I would tell people that history is garbage. It's useless. But now I love history. And I mean, I really like history a lot. And it's not, you know, it's not that I hated history. Bef- like, I-, I can now say that what I've hated all this time was not history. It was the way history is taught. History itself is genuinely interesting. In- oh, wow. I just ate like half of each word. History is genuinely interesting. It is a beautiful subject where it shows you cause and effect and it shows you the non-linear progression because it's not just one event causes one outcome which causes one thing it's one Mm. event causes multiple outcome like one outcome that has multiple side effects which those side effects cause separate events which those separate events reoccur into this and it's not just and imagine that's one event spreading out like a tree imagine a forest of trees how that is history. History is a forest of trees. Yeah. There is no singular root cause. There is no singular root date. There is no singular winner. There is no singular, you know, outcome. There never is. And that is why history is interesting. But the way we teach it in schools is history is cause and effect. This is day one. And this is, this is the day it starts. And this is the day it ends. Mm. This is why things happened and this is why it didn't this is what you should believe and this is what you should not no it's not like that there's so many other things to it there's so many other complex boundaries to it yeah you know you just damn it laptop (laughs) you know it's just beautiful how history branches out and not only branches out in one direction it branches out in the opposite as well. Because mm. the more you know about a, you know, the the past, 
right, is more you can understand of your future because similar events can be happening and similar events are happening right now. I don't want to point out which is which, but there are certain historical events which are slowly progressing right now. Yeah, I'm going to just say it. It's the interwar years. The interwar year between the 1918, the Great War, and, you know, uh, World War II, which was 1939. The typical World War II, which was about 1939. But it really started around 14 years prior to that when Japanese invaded China. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty bad. So those interwar years where, you know, international relations started to sour between countries and many, many countries, which were either new or old, started to slide backwards from democracy towards fascism, towards, you know, nationalism, towards communism. This sudden shift from, you know, where it was to where it's going to be. Mm. And it, those kind of things are happening now too. There are mass riots across the world. There's injustice across the world. There's a backsliding democracy. A lot of them, not just a couple, but a lot of backsliding democracies. And the champions of democracies themselves, the US is facing this issue too. They're slowly backsliding. Whether they know it or not, whether they want to believe it or not, they are. <laughs> and it's very clearly visible. But, you know, that that all is happening right now. Man, like, I want to go back to you talking about passion. Sure. Um, because I, I kind of want you to reiterate on that because you said you you can't find a passion for something. Yeah. Like, it's so, not sitting in the wild. It's not like you one day just go, you know, okay, why, if I didn't like music up till now, why I can't be passionate about music, but uh, how about like, you know, I've never looked at a cycle or somebody cycling and said, I need to be a cyclist. No. Then why can I not, then that I'm not passionate about it. Or, you know, I haven't wanted to write a blog ever since I've seen a blog. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, because it's not like as soon as you see it, you know, it's true. Like, it's not a love at first sight kind of a thing. Mm. where the moment you put your eyes upon it, you know that you need to do it. It's no, that's some people who have that drive for some things like that is definitely me in airplanes. I wanted to be a pilot my entire life. And I think it's since I was five years old, I believe I've always had this thing in my mind. I want to fly. I want to be the man at the helm flying the plane. I want to steer this airship and that is, it has been my goal up till now. Unfortunately, COVID threw, you know, it out of the window. But I may be fortunate enough to pick it up later on in life. There's no real, you know, age limit to it. So I'm going to, I'm going to, this is my goal for my life. I'm going to fly. I'm going mm. to be a pilot, be it commercial or be it a hobby. I don't care. I'm flying a plane. But that is a passion that, you know, that is something that was love at first sight. But not all of it is love at first sight. Most of it isn't. 
uh, for me, cycling as well. Like I, I've seen cyclists all throughout my life, but life, but I've never, you know, had that true drive to become a cyclist until I started to actively cycle. Until I started to achieve a ride long distances. I did sixty eight, then I did seventy, then I did a hundred, then I started to do hundred and fifty, then I did five hundred and fifty. See, you know, it, it built over time. It did not just happen on a day. So you did something quite an extreme in that when did you find the passion when when would you say you were passionate about about cycling at what kilometer mark would you say you were? i can't really say at what kilometer mark because well, there's so many give me like an upper point. upper and and a lower limit i mean like i mean a singular ride is what i mean oh there's no singular ride i mean there's actually none because it's you know it's a gradual build for me yeah, no. It I mean, for so example, gradual. you started at you started at fifty or whatever. You must have started really small, and then you went slowly fifty, seventy, a hundred, hundred and fifty. So, yeah. where do you think along these kind of lines? Where do you think you went? Oh, this is this is something I'm passionate about. When did I you think, kind of find that passion? I think that would be around you know this hundred kilometer mark. I think so, around the hundred kilometer mark, where you know. That's a monumental. So that's a hundred kilometer ride, not a yeah. hundred kilometer mark. That would have been like a hundred and seventy, probably all already past two hundred, depending on what all rides I'm counting and what do I yeah. count as a like. What do I really count as a ride? That would have been beyond two hundred kilometers. But that was one single ride. It was a hundred km yeah. ride, and you know I finished, and I was like, you know, well, I I actually struggled to finish it, but I did, and that was like such a relief for me. I was like. Hundred is possible on this mm. bike at this age, with this you know, with my world breaking in front of me. Which at that point in time, I was fighting a lot of you know inner demons, and this was a kind of a thing that said, "Purpose it exists for me. It's not. Mm. I'm not lost in the sea of you know purposeless perpetuity." So that's interesting to me because. Up till then, you did two hundred kilometers or something. You weren't passionate about. Yeah, it takes time. It takes so much time to find what you're passionate about, and that is why when people say follow your passion, I'm just it. While yes, it is true, you should follow something you like. It's you know it's demotivating to people who don't really know what their passion is, and it it hurts them a lot. And I I really understand why they would feel so bad because some people just seem to like, you know, drive towards something they like forever. But these guys don't have really anything that they can truly drive forward for. And, you know, neither did I. And to this day, right now, I don't know what I'm going to do in my future. What am I going to be a pilot? Am I going to be working in foreign relations? Am I going to you know, continue being a podcaster? Is that how I'm going to earn my money? Am I going to be a YouTuber? What am I going to do? Because I honestly don't know. Right now, I'm stuck in the middle of, I'm stuck in the middle of a time where I have no clue where I'm going or what I'm going to do. I'm so lost. And to tell me, if you were to tell me, find what you want to do, it's like, I don't know. I'm sitting here for like, you know, hours on end days on end thinking 
And then you come up to me and say, do what you want to do. It's like, no, that's not how it works. That's not how the world works. And that is not how, yeah, like, thanks for telling me I suddenly have an idea now. No, it, it doesn't work that way. I don't have an idea. And I'm not going to for a bit longer. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to take me actively searching for it. And, you know, actively yeah. putting my toes into things that I haven't done. And that actually comes back to the point where you asked me, why, how are you doing so much now? It's because I don't know what to do. I have to do as much uh, as I can to find what I can do further, what I can that's push a, further. That's a great way to find what you want to do. Because, so I used to think that people that didn't, because I knew what I wanted to do from a young age, I used to think that people up to very recently and this is not easy for me to admit because my ego is massive. Um, mm. But I used to think that people that didn't know what they wanted to do was just a, it was kind of a very passive a, approach to life because they weren't trying enough things. And yeah. they, weren't, they, weren't, they weren't really seeking for that purpose in life of what they wanted to do. But then I got proven wrong and I was happy to be proven wrong um, by someone. And they said that, listen, I'm in my 40s now. And by the time you get to my age, a lot of the people that I know that thought they were going to be doing something at your age, Are for example, yeah, for example, being like a marketing director or something, are doing something completely different from what they thought they would be doing. And then yeah. that changed my perspective completely on it. And I felt, well, I didn't feel idiotic because I still kind of stand by that, that you should try to do stuff. But then now I've changed my view on it. So I thought, okay, so this is what people should do, right? Why don't you start crossing off things that you don't want to do instead of trying to find what you do want to do? Yeah. Like maybe like um, there's this very, it's a very Indian thing that you, that you kind of follow what your parents tell you to study when you get to pick, you know, your subjects or you kind of follow the stuff that you think will bring you more success in life. For example... Yeah. The sciences. Yeah, which and, one gives your name honor sort of a situation. Yeah, but people, I know some, my dad was miserable doing it when he tried. And I mean, he did, I mean, he did sciences. He owns an ad agency. It has nothing to do with it at all, you know? Yeah. But that's, I mean, of course, there's parental pressure, so many sociological factors involved. And, but... Yeah, people, they stress themselves with things they don't generally like at all. And so if you do that, if you surround yourself with things that you know you don't like, you're never going to be able to focus on something that you actually might because you've invested all your time into that. You've, yeah. you've put all your eggs into one basket of pure, oh, let's just get this over with kind of thing, you yeah. know? And... Yeah, I think that's just, that's the approach that needs to change right now for at least for our generation. Yeah, I think especially this will help with middle school students and, you know, guys who are in the most important time of their life, which is the point where they have to decide which, how they're going to study and what they're going to study. Because once you lock that, it's hard to, you know, go back and change it. Because I locked myself in the science field, very confident about, you know, being a pilot. But now that it's gone, 
what my science field gives me a lot of opportunities, but there are some opportunities that I cannot go back and get. Like I cannot go back and take history now, even though now I love it. I can't go back and take it because, you know, it's gone. It's over. I have to take it as a separate course now. I have to study it completely uh, apart from school. And not only that, but, you know, in middle school, in high school, there's one thing I've heard constantly. And this is something that bugged me forever. And now I know that it should be abolished. Now I have a, like, now I know that for a fact it should be the one thing that every mentor, like the mentality in people's brain that should be eradicated. I'm in ninth. I need to study for my exams. I'm in 10th. I they do 10th means exams are going to come around the corner. It's, you need to study now. No need to, don't participate in other events. No need for, you know, I shouldn't have a social life. No, 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 no. This is when you will get your social life and your social life ends four years from now. Your social life drowns quickly and you have to enjoy it. You have to enjoy these years because if you're sat behind a desk all throughout your, like, you know, your schooling, you're never going to relive those days again. Childhood goes and it goes so fast. And this is coming from somebody who's not exited his true childhood. Like, I mean, I'm 19. But that doesn't make a difference. I could be, you know, 17. I would speak the same way. It's my childhood hasn't truly left me. But the day it leaves me, I know for a fact that I'll be looking back at this and say, damn, I miss this. Damn, I really, you know, the world was different then. And it, and it was my world. It was my own little bubble that has popped and... I'm here now. I'm doing, you know, whatever I am. And this is no longer what I expected it to be. You know, the world was different then. And it'll always stay different. And it'll always stay unreachable. It was gone. And this entire thing of me, like, not going for social events, not going for other events, right? Like, something like even a competition, be it debating, be it public speaking, be it Anything extracurricular, not going for this, is a nail in the coffin. It's sealing your fate and, you know, causing more harm than you think. Maybe it's four days. Maybe it'll be a little hard for you to catch up on your studies for those four days. Maybe, you know, you may not like what you went for. Or maybe you will. Maybe that one event will change your life. Well, I, as much as I like what you're saying, I mean, it, it sounds really nice and appealing. I disagree with it. Yeah. Because, but only to an extent in that, look, if you want to do something that's, if you want to like grow up and run an NGO, you don't necessarily need to be studying um, six hours a day in ninth grade for it. Yeah. Okay. But if your goal is to be valedictorian and your goal is to be, I mean, that's short term goal. And your goal is to be, you know, a neuroscientist or a, or a, or a rocket scientist or something that needs a lot of 
a lot of studying and a lot of work that's that's your training right there it's yeah for us it's sports for you it's that for you that's your stimulus that's your training that's your 10000 hours of of effort that you're putting in and yeah and if you want to miss out on social events for that go for it if I it's mean, something if it's something related to that but if it's look if it's not important to you whatsoever if it's just one of those subjects in 9th grade that you're going to drop in 10th grade uh, but that you're going to drop later on then there's no point you know I mean, but if it's related to what you want to do i'm sorry yeah go ahead no i know you're you're totally right about that but i am actually i actually agree with you on this but i think i might have said it wrong the first time which caused you to think this way so mm-hmm. yeah i'm not saying that you should miss your subjects for it no no no, no. <laughs> beyond a doubt definitely do not skip lessons do not miss stuff but if you have a drive for a future which involves a subject heavily you have to put your time into that i'm not saying don't and you should be putting a lot of time into it but at the same time you shouldn't you know remove your social life to you shouldn't sacrifice one thing for the other you have to experience it all because there's going to be a point where you cannot experience it and it's too late to go back so you have to put in the time for this but you have to make time for your social life you have to make time for your own you know extracurricular life mm. even if it may be a small role that will not change your future much it's something you should at least do for now because you never know what changes at the drop of a hat again you're you did point out right there's something if you want to be a neuroscientist right well i wanted to be a pilot all my life and i focused my subjects precisely for that but look at me now no no chance of being a pilot in the near future my goal was that my objective was that and it's a long term objective and it was so long term that short term you know quick changes that could have had drastic event like drastic effects to them like the virus have put a damper on it and i if i hadn't had h man if i hadn't had my cycling if i hadn't had you know craftsman like being a crafty kid or always being outdoors diying crap and if i hadn't had you know public speaking practice or video you know just grabbing cameras and recording whatever the hell i could and if i didn't like music I wouldn't have an idea as to what I'm going to be doing right now. I wouldn't be making this podcast or building trails or writing blogs or making, you know, the podcast. Every one of these things that I'm doing right now is gone. While it may seem insignificant in the time being, it might play a big role later on. And that's why I'm saying don't sacrifice one for the other, but have both. It's important to have both. put in your 10,000 hours here and put in your 5,000 hours in the other you know feel if you don't want to do it much don't worry i'm not saying don't do it i'm not i'm, I'm well i'm trying to say don't kill it don't put zero hours in it put at least 5 maybe 10 doesn't matter the rest of it put all your effort into the rest if you want to if that's your goal that's your goal put your effort here but don't not put your effort in the other field as well 
because just just because there are things that can change. I like this a lot because this is two different perspectives, uh, kind of very similar, in that you know you should do what you think is best for you. That's the that's the yeah. bottom line. Yeah. But the approach is very different for me. It's dude, you have a birthday party. You you want to go to a birthday party, or your choice is you you have training that day, and it coincides with your birthday party. You want to skip that birthday party? Go ahead, man. Do it. Yeah. I skipped some of my some good friends' birthday party. They went pissed at me. I I don't care. I think I've got I've training now. Too. Yeah, I mean I've got training now. You're you're not gonna get. I mean I'm not gonna. I mean I don't know. I I guess it's it's strange because someone will go. You have training five times a week. What what difference does it make to you? That birthday is once a year. Yeah, well I see you every Sunday, so it doesn't really matter all that much. I don't know any of your friends. I don't I don't mind missing out on this. I'd rather be here. If you do yeah. something that makes you happy, then I don't think anything will that then I don't think you'll ever feel like you're missing out on something. Sure yeah. you may you may lose an opportunity here and there, but life is so full of uncertainty that you can never you will never be able to make a single decision in your entire life. If you if I were to tell you right now that every single decision you made in your entire life led you to listening to this podcast at this very second wouldn't that kind of scare you because you're listening to a pretty mediocre speaker and prajwal <laughs> I mean think about it that's a scary thing but you have to just go with what makes you happy in the moment and if it's your passion it's your passion if it's your social life it's your social life i think that's how you that's how that's just how you have to go about it man yeah totally and i think yeah we're both agreeing on the exact same thing it's just our approach is two different, different yeah exactly and yeah. that is the beauty of opinions and the beauty of you know life one more thing i wanted to point out mm-hmm. uh is actually you did point out that people ask you like you know, how are you able to do so much right if and this is to the audience if you think david or i are extraordinary people or you know above average people your bar not is so close. low that you could actually be over the bar not even close yeah exactly if you think we are extraordinary the your bar is so low that you've actually passed it so it's now your time to pick up the mantle and you know push the bar higher bring your you know bring yourself so high up that you hold your standards higher and with that thanks for joining us